And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really wants to fight Floyd Mayweather. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yes, there's many... Oh, there's so many things to talk about, but once again, that music gets me up. It makes me happy, and it it, it fairly trills. And I'll tell you... On Milleronia here, there's nothing like great music. Great music works everywhere, but especially on a happy island like Milleronia, and with a happy show like ours, that music is a great uh, great way to start. And of course, that's the Edward Starkman Orchestra and the Carol Capshaw Dancers, featuring boy tenor Jeff Wolf, asking the musical question, musical question... Offered by the boy tenor, ketchup or catsup? Well, first of all, that's a heck of a question, Jeff. It really is. And you may have noticed that Jeff wrote that musical question as a haiku. And both Colonel Jeff and I thought that was that was a terrific idea. Very creative. You've all been very creative with those, but I'll bring it up a little later when we get to our haiku section. But first of all, as I said, Jeff, good question. Ketsup or catsup and good haiku. But let's think about that. Ketsup or ketchup? Ketchup or ketsup? Or catsup? First of all, neither Jeff nor I knew anything about that. I've always wondered in my life, what in the world is catsup? How was it named catsup? Come to think of it, what is ketchup? How was it named Ketchup? There's a, you know, a great joke that uh, Uma Thurman told in uh, in the oh the terrific movie, the Tarantino movie, the um, oh what oh this is so silly now. Come on, it's with it's with uh, John Travolta and uh, Pulp Fiction, says Colonel Jeff. He's exactly right. But she tells that joke about the family of tomatoes walking down the street. It's already a good start for a joke, by the way. It's just so silly. Good silly. And uh, But the family of tomatoes is walking down the street, and one of the little child tomatoes is lagging behind a bit, and the father walks back and raises his foot and stomps on the tomato, and stomps and crushes the tomato and says, Catch up! And uh, admittedly, it was more thrilling when Thurman tells it to John Travolta. But at, at any rate, what, what in the world is ketchup? What is catsup? Now, uh, the colonel and I looked it up on the internet, and it said, it said it's some interesting stuff. First of all, originally there was a mushroom ketchup in the United Kingdom in the 18th century. I'm guessing your reaction was the same as mine, which is kind of like, you know, didn't didn't they know that some mushrooms are poison? 
But, I mean, uh, I, I like mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I think almost everyone likes and loves mushrooms, but a mushroom ketchup? And uh, they had a picture of it there, and uh, the colonel looked a little, little sour when he looked at it, and I said, let me see. And he turned his uh, laptop around for me, and there was a bowl of, well, mushroom ketchup, and he was right. It's disgusting. It looks disgusting. It doesn't look like something that should be eaten. It looks like something that was used to hold logs together in a cabin where you fill in the space in between the logs there. So, okay, all right, originally a mushroom ketchup in the United Kingdom in the 18th century. Fair enough. Disgusting? Fair enough. But also originally, in a different part of the world, the Chinese used pickled fish and spices, and they made a ketchup. And that also, now I, I like fish as much as the next guy, especially a fish. and uh, But pickled fish and spices, all right, now again, that's okay. You know, it doesn't, because I'm starting off thinking of what do you dip a fry into? But all right, the Chinese uh, had an origin and theirs was pickled fish and spices. And, uh, but the, in 1801, that's the first year for tomato-based ketchup. What you and I might think was close to ketchup. And it also had, in 1801, they also took a hint from the Chinese and put fish into it, one kind of fish, one fish, anchovies. That's right, anchovies went into the original 1801 American step forward to ketchup. How did that taste? I like anchovies. In fact, I love them. And in fact... Whenever I'm on the road, if I decide to go crazy in a hotel room, and, uh, whoa, that happens a lot. But, I mean, if I ever decide to go really mad and I get something from room service, I might get a Caesar salad. And, uh, you know, I don't need the bread croutons on it. But I always say on the phone, do you have anchovies, too? Do you guys use anchovies? And they almost always say, yes, we do. And then I say, now, is it the old, salty, terrific anchovies that I like, the ones that are brown and sometimes go on pizza? Or is it the new ones that, well, you might see in a fancy restaurant that I don't like at all, that are much larger and they're, I guess, anchovies, but, boy, I, I don't know. I don't like the look and I don't like to eat them. And... Almost always they say, oh, it's the older kind. And I said, please send that up. Please put a few extra on there, if you don't mind, and send me your Caesar salad with anchovies. And I'll tell you my first experience with anchovies. I'll tell you the first one. There was a pizza place near where I grew up on Long Island, and it was very, very good pizza. It was terrific. I, I, I don't know... I really don't know what's happened to pizza today. I don't know why you can't go in and grab a slice and say to yourself, hey, this is good. This is really good. And uh, at that pizza place, it was, excuse me, it was run by a family. They were all in the same family. And uh, at night, sometimes my friend Jimmy and uh, Kenny and Richie and I would go down to the pizza place because they played a card game 
called Beast or Bista or something like that. And it was for money. And, uh, well, we were just knucklehead kids and uh, we liked to stand around and watch them play. And every so often we could play too. And uh, they were sort of like ancient cards. And I got a deck once from an ancient card store. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it was, it was fun to watch. It was fun to be there. It was fun to be in a pizza place late when it's closed. And I mean, oh, 11, 12, 12, at night. And then after an hour or so of playing Beast, Uncle Zio got up to make food for everyone. And the food he made every single time, the same thing, he would... Boy, this is basic. It's so great. He would take a long loaf of Italian bread, and I mean a long one, and he'd cut it in half with a very long, sharp knife. And he, I don't mind saying he looked like he was good at it, too. I'm just saying that. Short temper and really good with a long knife. But he did. He cut that Italian bread in half, and he would go with a big spoon... He would go into a can of butter that they kept there, and it was it was soft, it was kept soft, it was kept out, and he would go in there and he would lop big hunks of butter onto that bread and just start spreading it. It was very, it wasn't spread neatly, it was spread like guy food, and which is a compliment in that case. And he would spread it the whole length on both sides of that bread, blah, 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 and just other hunks of butter on it, but not too thick, but it was definitely thick wallops of butter. And then on top of that, he would reach into a can they had there of anchovies, the old kind, the good kind, the one they used to put on the pizzas when anyone like me would ask. But this was my first encounter with anchovy, and he would take a hand of, of full of anchovies and go, sprat and and just throw them onto the bread. Then he'd take another handful and brap, throw them onto the bread. This is a lot of anchovies. But I'll tell you what, folks, he would just, you know, like uh, roughly with a couple of fingers, he would just knock them around, spread them around. A lot of anchovies, a lot of butter, fresh Italian bread. And then he would take another very sharp knife, like a butcher knife, and just whack the bread up into sandwiches so they each sandwich was seven eight inches long something like that and he'd go shuck 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 and then he'd put them all on a tray and just bring them to the table and we all had one folks it was the best thing in the world i hope that sounds good to you it's simple food but boy it was terrific and that was my first Encounter with anchovies. I must have had anchovies like that on those late night sandwiches. I must have had that ten times. I didn't like. <laughs> I just remembered something. My friend Jimmy was dealing a hand of beast once. He was playing, and there was a lot of money in the center. By the way, there was like thirty bucks in the center, uh, you know, in the pot, and Zio was. Uh, going to win. Someone else cut out. Someone else was knocked out. I can't remember how to play the game, but Zio was going to win. And then somebody else who was still in, turns out, had an extra card, a third card or something, instead of just two, something like that. 
And everyone there said, oh, all right, because Jimmy was dealing. So he made a mistake. He dealt the other guy extra cards. And they said, all right, we'll just we'll leave the money in the part and play another hand. But play another hand didn't sit well with Zio because he was about to win. And because there was an extra card that didn't even change the outcome, but because it was extra, they all said, well, we got to play again. Then we've got to play another hand. Got to make it right. And make it right. He started to stand up at that table. And folks, he had the thickest hands in the world. And he slowly, with hands shaking, he pointed his index finger at my friend Jimmy. And he just, he just kind of growled, Cheat! Cheat! And uh, one of the guys, oh yeah, Vinny, one of the guys, Vinny, just held his hands up at Zio and just said, no, Zio, no, 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 he, said, he, he, he didn't cheat. <coughs> mm. Pardon me. And Zio again kept standing and the finger kept shaking, but you know, it, wouldn't, it wasn't going to shake for long because he meant business. And he said again to Jimmy, cheat, cheat. And uh, he was real Italian from Italy, by the way, in case you couldn't tell. And at any rate, Jimmy said, "No, I didn't, uh, Zio. I didn't. I didn't. I, I wouldn't. I would. No, I didn't do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do something. Cheat, cheat." And he kept standing. And no one, first of all, no one got killed, which sounds idiotic, but it was a, it was, it was a big point then. It it seemed to us, and we weren't scared but we were thinking holy mackerel what is going on now and plus when you see some of these other guys Vinny and a couple of other uh, you know a couple of his cousins and a brother or two when they stood up and held their hands out to block Zio from coming forward at Jimmy you know that's a sign that wait a minute if it's serious to them it might as well be serious to us but no one got hurt and uh, Jimmy shuffled the cards again, and they played the hand again. And you know what the truth is? That's another one of those stories where the buildup was so good to me, I don't even remember whether Zio won the second hand. I don't think he did. And he just kept, you know, he's sitting there, and then another ten minutes later, well, he made those great sandwiches, and we were all a little suspicious of the one he gave Jimmy, frankly. I mean, because he just would hand them out to everyone. But when he handed it to Jimmy, he gave him a very direct look in his eyes. And we all just, you know, kind of, I think Richie leaned over to Jimmy and just said, hey, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. And he wasn't kidding. He wasn't making a joke. He was saying, come on, the guy just went in the back. Who knows what he's got back there? Who knows what the whole place has got back there? But uh, that's my first—that's my first encounter with anchovies with Zio, and boy, folks, those were good. And uh, Jimmy is still my friend. Zio didn't kill him, and uh, I wonder who he took it out on. By the way, like a day later or a week later, you just an article in the paper. You don't get to read much, and then you say, "Holy mackerel, was that Zio?" In any case, so 
to Jeff Wolf, who asked the uh, musical question in a haiku. And here it is again. Musical question offered by the boy tenor, ketchup or catsup? Jeff, good question, good haiku. And I'm going to have to go with ketchup in real life and catsup in old cartoons. I don't know why catsup was so popular in the 40s or 50s for cartoons, but it was. Colonel Jeff and I both agreed on that. And you'd see it written on the bottle in neat print, catsup. So what it is, I don't know. Ketchup in real life, catsup in cartoons. And you know what? Uh, My opinion is some of the cheaper bottled glass bottle ketchup is better than, well, the one everyone gets and loves, which is Heinz. And uh, I think they're a good company. Good luck to you, Heinz. When you become a sponsor of my show here, I think my attitude towards your ketchup might change. But fast. But now, as of now, I'm going to have to say a lot of the... I like lower-grade bottled ketchup you find all over the country. I like going into a diner in the middle of the country in the Midwest and finding a bottle of ketchup that's, well, I don't mean homemade. I mean just from a store. Look at that. Oh, how do you like that? I wonder where they got that thing. So thanks, Jeff. Ketchup in real life, ketchup in cartoons. And now, actually, that, that leads us, in a way, to another kind of food because, well, it's time for something important. Well, I guess it's always time for something important, but here it is. And the introductory sentence for this is always the same. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's Macintosh. (laughs) Colonel Jeff came to Milleronia on his three helicopter rides, and he said, plus... Larry, I've brought you a new sound effect for our Apple segment because he also came with two apples. And one was a Pacific Rim, Pacific Rose, rather, Pacific Rose, and one was Opal. And he got them in a Chinese vegetable store or something, he said. And, well, folks, first of all, these are good-looking apples. One was red and one was yellow. The Pacific Rose was red and the Opal was yellow. And uh, I was very glad he brought them from the mainland. And we took them upstairs here in my Milleronia Manor house. And I, as I always do with good food, especially apples, though, I wash them. I don't mean scrub them with a brush, but I mean wash them. You always... Rinse them off in the sink under the tap and uh, then cut them up neatly. And I am here to tell you folks that, you know what? It makes a difference. Apples are very good. I still don't even know how Johnny Appleseed had so many different kinds with him or, or, or how he did that, how he made not three or four, but five, 30, 50 different kinds of apple trees. 
and these were very, very good. The colonel and I both agreed the red one, the Pacific Rose, was in fact delicious. It was more delicate than you might think it would be. And it had a nice texture, a nice softness to it, but very, well, as I said, delicate, sweet, and tasty. The texture was nice. It was still stiff enough to be an apple, but it was soft and terrific. Your teeth didn't ache trying to bite through it. Really wonderful. Uh, out of 10, I would say 7 for the Pacific Rose. And as far as the opal goes, the yellow one, I would say the same sort of thing. This one was so good and so tasty, Colonel Jeff actually said, you know what, I, I, it reminds me of a pear. I, I just want to say the word pear. And that's what these remind me of, the, the, the yellow ones. And I couldn't taste anything in that. They were a little, little an apple, so they're harder than pears, as I remember. At first, it made me angry. Not angry enough to take Colonel Jeff to the volcano, but close. Remember, anything different or odd here on Milleronia gets the volcano. But the truth is that, you know, uh, we liked that one very much, too, the yellow one, the opal. And it was tasty as well, tastier than you than you think it might be. And uh, I'm going to go with a six on that, if that sounds right to you, Colonel. And he's nodding, yes. And uh, I would say the, the, the yeah, it's fun. It's reasonable to say that the Pacific Rose won, but not by much. And I like still having numbers like 8, 9, and 10. And boy, folks, when I was back on the mainland myself before coming out this time to Milleronia, I was at our supermarket, Ralph's, where we live, and the helpful clerk in the vegetable section there, in the fruit section, was unloading some things. on, a, And he said to me, uh, Well, how are you today, Mr. Miller? And... Uh, I'm not just saying that. They're very polite, and they're trying to be nice. And I said, oh, thank you very much. He said, any questions? I was loading some apples into a bag for myself and for the kids. And and, and you know what? He said, anything you want to know? Anything? Any questions you have? And I said, uh, no, no, thanks. I'm fine. And I smiled. And then just a second or two later, I thought to myself, and I turned to him and said, wait a minute. I do have a question. Are you going to have any Macintosh back here again how soon, if you are, are you ever going to get those back? And he said, yes, we are. We think next week they're coming in. And bless his heart, as soon as he said that, I looked in his eyes and I just thought, that doesn't sound exactly true. I mean, I'm sure, I, and I said to him, I bet other people ask you that too, don't they? And he said, yeah, they do. And I said, they really love them. He And I said, I love them. They're the apple of my eye, so to speak. And he said, well, you know, we're getting, uh, I think it's two cases in, he said. With other apples, it's usually five cases. But he said, just two with the Macintosh. And then he said to me, Mr. Miller, I'll do you a favor. I will hold a big bag of apples of Macintosh when they come in for you. 
Because he knows also I'm in that store twice, three times a week. Not looking for Macintosh. That would be, well, a little loony. But I, I'm in that store. And I'll, I'll see him. At any rate, uh, he said, I'll hold them for you. And I said, that's awfully nice. I said, you, you win your helpful gold star for the day. And, uh, but folks, I'll tell you what. There's something about apples. And you know how good these apples were today? You know how good the the Pacific Rose and the Opal? My dog, Ozzy, my dog whom we bring to Milleroni as well, he's had his three helicopter rides many times, if we just bring him on his own. You know what, Ozzy? God bless him. I can't stop feeding my dog. He's so gorgeous, and I love him so much. Plus, he really wants it. I know some people would say that, well, he's just climbing up on your leg and looking at you like that because he just wants you to feed him. That's okay with me. I know he's a grazer and he's so athletic he could be a circus dog. He really is. And yes, like all doggies, I know he comes over when I'm eating and just sits there like a pooch, like a gorgeous pooch, knowing that he'll I'll give him lots of whatever I'm having. And I know I should toughen up on this and stop this habit, but... I can't stop feeding my dog. And I love the way he looks at me. And today, with apples, with Ozzy, he always wants a bite. And sometimes he takes one. I'll bite off a piece, and it's always a good-sized piece, and he'll put it in his mouth, and it'll go two or three feet away. He always turns around, too. And he does one of two things. One, he just sniffs at it, licks at it on the floor there, and then just walks away. Doesn't want it. Just can't have it. And uh, other times he eats it. He just always wants it. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But today, folks, he ate not only both the Pacific Rose and the Opal, but he ate them the way he wanted them, and, and he really wanted them. I don't mean he ate them like a lunatic dog, you know, just drooling on it. But, I mean, he, he went to town. And then he would come back, and to Colonel Jeff as well. He would get up on our legs on the side there and just look with that, well, the gorgeous dog face. And you know what? He he, he loved it too. It reminded me that one of my fraternity brothers when I was in college, Al, had a good dog named Pax. And everyone on campus really liked Pax. So when he went with us to the dining hall at mealtime, and he did because there were no, no rules at our school about dogs going all over the place. So they could come with us to the dining hall and get, well, fat. They would get fat, and that's what Pax did. He would could wander around looking friendly. He was a very friendly dog, and every guy knew him there, and he knew every guy, and every guy gave him some of his food. So, again, on the one hand, this is adorable. On the other hand, it's not a good diet. And we asked, this was uh, over a three-year period, you know, that uh, of knowing Al and Pax. And uh, we said to him at one point, gee, is he getting a little fat there? And, I mean, this was not hefty. This was not, well, he's putting on a couple. This was not small. This was, uh, this was fat. And uh, I know that's not good for the dog. And 
Boy, that college was great for dogs. We found a dog called Dog. We named her Dog. D-A-W-G, Dog. And, well, we loved her completely. And uh, she lived, again, in the fraternity with us there. And everyone knew her, and she knew everyone. Well, she's just great. I miss her. And, uh, you know, that uh, she was our my little group there of, uh, oh, seven, eight guys. She was sort of officially our dog, but she could wander around, and she was very doggish. She had lived in the wild for a while. She was gorgeous, a kind of a collie shepherd. And it's funny, I, I used to love, she would chase squirrels when she saw a squirrel on the campus. And we never had her on a leash. For some reason, that never dawned on me or anybody else. But she was always just right by you, right by the leg, and she would sit down and wait when we were crossing the street and... You know, when the light changed and say, okay, come on, dog, and uh, she just followed, but staying close. She wasn't wandering around going up to sniff other people. And uh, But if she saw a, a squirrel on the campus there, she would tear after it, and I mean become old-world dog. And she would go after that squirrel, and I thought that was a dog, but so we would all just go, oh, dog, oh, dog. But then she'd catch them sometimes. And then we'd say, oh, dog, because it was, well, she was a dog. And, and, you know, that's what they do. They kill the squirrels and then start to eat them. Now, if you say, well, you could have stopped that. You ever go up to a dog eating a squirrel? You wouldn't like it, and you wouldn't do it again. But uh, she was the best. And then uh, one time, one day, I uh, I told this story about five years ago at the start of the show here. and uh, But it's worth telling again. I asked the colonel. He said, yeah, tell that one again. And it's true. It's a true story that uh dog got hit by a car crossing Route 9. And uh, thank God she didn't. I don't mean she got hit by a car going 40. I mean, uh, cars were just... Uh, she just got kind of tinkled and rolled over by it, and it hurt her paw. And uh, so we decided to take her to the vet the next day. And uh, it was all of us. Andy Mann was my good friend, and uh, he's uh, he officially had her papers, and she stayed with him for the summer. He was part of our group. And uh, so we all kind of piled into, there were five of us piled into uh, someone's car. Someone had borrowed a car. And we piled in with Dog, and uh, it was around 11.30 or 12 uh, the next day. And w- this was a good time to do it, because we weren't, we weren't going to go to class. Anyway, that was, to be honest, that wasn't happening anyway, no matter who was hurt. But uh, in this case, we took Dog, and it was a beautiful morning in the spring. And we, uh, well, we were having a nice drive. It was about 40 minutes to go to the vet. So we stopped off and got some beer, just a couple of beers. Just uh, It was a case. We got a case of beer, and uh, we all cracked a beer in the car and had time for a couple of them, uh, two or three, and we got to the vets. And uh, we all piled into the vet, and the four of us sat on the, on the, on the, uh, the seats in the vet's in the waiting room there, and it wasn't a big vet office, but it seemed like a nice one. So we were only a, we were only about eight or ten feet away from the front desk there, and the vet came out, and Andy walked her up to the counter there, 
And uh, the vet was just writing down some of the information on the forms. And he said to Andy, what's the dog's name? And Andy said, dog. And uh, he just looked up for a second and said, dog? And Andy said, yes, dog, D-A-W-G, dog. And the vet, all right. He writes down dog, and then the vet says, and your name? Man. Now, we never thought anything was odd about that, because that's his name, Andy Mann. But God knows what that vet saw over the years in his business, but to him, when he said, what's the dog's name? Dog. What's your name? Man. At that point, he stopped writing with the pencil and just kind of glanced up at Andy, and he was tapping the eraser end of the pencil on the desk there, and then the vet said, I guess it's easier that way. And there we were, just sitting there looking. We didn't even quite get what he was saying. Well, we had three beers in us, and so did Andy, and and Dog, of course, God bless her, she was a dog. So that was a pretty good moment there in, in American life to me of, how do you like that? What's the dog's name, dog, and your name, man? And the vet took her. Thank God she was fine. She hadn't, but we thought she might have broken the paw, and uh, she didn't. And the vet, well, taped her up there, and she was going to be fine, and she was fine. And uh, so we took her out. We all walked back out to the car, got in, and cracked another beer, as a matter of fact. And dog was uh, sitting on... Our lap, she was on my lap, and uh, what a great dog. God bless her. So uh, at any rate, you know, I uh, I love that dog, and I hope you love yours too. They're a, a great breed, a breed that wants to be part of us, I think, wants to be part of the pack, the human pack. And I think that's really something. I don't think dogs are... I don't think all animals are like are alike. I mean, I don't think all animals are like bears, where you always, you know, there's horrible things that happen when someone writes home, I'm getting to, there's one bear I'm really friendly with now. He likes me. And you want to say, oh, boy, don't do that. You know, if you read about it in a paper, yes, so-and-so and, -so and uh, Bob has been living with the bear for 14 months now or something like that. And uh, Bob lives in a tent and the bear lives in the cave. And you just, oh, boy, and you know this happens. You've read about it, too. And then, well, Bob walks out one day, and the bear walks out one day, and the bear eats Bob because that's kind of what the bear wanted to do all along and was just eating other stuff. And then the bear thought, well, you know what? Uh, Bob's right here. I'll just eat him. Now, Bob didn't feel the same way. You know, he, well, it's a horrible end there to be eaten by a bear. But I think dogs are the best thing in the world. And uh, so thanks again for loving them the same way. And that brings us to, yes, our haiku portion. <laughs> Boy, that guy knows two notes. But, but they're nice notes. Uh, folks... I love doing these haikus. A haiku is a great poem. It's three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, and then five again. And sometimes they can be, get pretty far flung and uh, very arty. 
and that's fine. But I'll tell you what, I love, and the Colonel loves too, the haikus you've been sending in. And we were going to end it right now. We were going to end it because April is National Poetry Month here in in America. And, of course, it's May already. And uh, the Colonel and I were talking today, and we both agreed, you know what? You guys sent in another batch of terrific haikus over the last week. And we said, you know what? Let's read some more. And then we'll, yes, we're in May, but it's it's still Poetry Month here on Milleronia. And uh, it still is for haikus. So you know what? Here are a few today. Some from people we know and like already. Uh, this is one from Steve Becker. Haikus are awesome, meaningful, and yet so brief. Better than Twitter. Well, that's a nice haiku, isn't it? It's smart and sweet. Haikus are awesome, meaningful, and yet so brief. Better than Twitter. And here's one from James Catalano. Gin, vermouth, shaken, add an olive or two, please. End of a good day. Well, that's true. That's a good... James, good for you. Gin, vermouth, shaken, add an olive or two, please. End of a good day. Good work, James. And here's one from Edward Starkman, who led our orchestra today, and we wanted to do that because, well, a bunch of you folks have written many good haikus uh, again and again, and I'm very grateful we we, we, we both are here. Uh, But Edward Starkman has, well, written some wonderful ones, and he keeps going. He's very creative. So here's one of his for today. Grew up near Larry. Green Acres, the place to be. Where's valley? Where's stream? Now, first of all, I'm from Long Island, and so apparently is Edward, and he grew up near Larry. Green Acres, the place to be. Green Acres was a, a nice neighborhood nearby, right next to ours, and, and Green Acres was a great shopping center. The first time anyone had ever seen a shopping center that was, well, a mall. It was outdoors. There was no roof. There were no walls. But boy, we all thought, this is amazing. Green Acres. And I think it's still there. And there is Valley Stream. That's where I'm from. Valley Stream, Long Island. So that's pretty nice. And I love how in his middle line, grew up near Larry, Green Acres, the place to be. Where's Valley? Where's Stream? And that middle line, Green Acres, the place to be. That's so nice. That's a that's a takeoff on the theme, the terrific theme from the television show Green Acres, and uh, with Eddie Albert. And uh, uh, oh, good Lord! Hang on a second here. Um, Eva Gabor. That's right. I reached into my own head for that one. That was a good show. So thank you, Edward. And uh, for all sorts of things and for being, uh, well, such a good listener, a good friend, and uh, and someone who knows how to write. And here's one from 
Mike Gatreau. Homer is Homer, that much is true. However, Pluto is a dog. Well, that's true. That's witty, Mike. That's fun. Homer is Homer, that much is true. However, Pluto is a dog. And a good dog, too. He's a lovable dog. But I just love that we named, well, our outermost planet, and yes, it is a planet, Pluto. And here's one from Jeff Nolan, or Nowlin. One day on my knee, the next a strong, brave marine, yet always my boy. Well, Jeff, that was a, a little gulp there for me because when I, that's a, a very, a very, uh, well, sweet, loving feeling in my, in my throat there. Yes, that's true. My, um, our oldest son is a Marine, as I've mentioned a couple of times. And how beautifully put, Jeff, one day on my knee, the next a strong, brave Marine, yet always my boy. That's sure true, folks. And here's one from William Lucking. Clean! We must go clean! All done but one! Press on! Does he like coffee? <laughs> That's great. That's from the Christmas uh, gift-getting story I tell once a year in December. And we'll, well... God willing, keep telling for many, many years. Thanks, William. Clean, we must go clean. All done but one. Press on. Does he like coffee? Being chased down that mall by that fellow who just wanted to get all of my relatives done. That was for Uncle Arnie. There's a music box store with great handmade stuff. Beautiful things. But, uh... <laughs> Stick around, folks, and in December you'll hear that full story again. And uh, here's another one from Jeff Nolan. Nolan or Nolan. Glasses up, fellas. We're driving to Florida. God's flashlight be damned. And those are images and references from my uh, five levels of drinking bit from my act. Well, it's more than a bit. It's a piece. But I sure appreciate... Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. Glasses up, fellas. We're driving to Florida. God's flashlight be damned. That's a good attitude at the time, and it sure is good to write about. And we have... Let's see. Forgive me. There's so many. I wasn't kidding around... You guys write some beautiful things. And uh, hang on a second. Well, here's another one from Edward Starkman. Bobby Thompson swung. The Giants win the pennant. Brooklyn. Poor Brooklyn. Wow, that's true. That's good. Good one, Edward. Here's one from Joel Hecht. Who's that over there? Queen of Milleronia. It's Linda Carter. <laughs> the colonel and I had a good laugh over that. It's very sweet, by the way. Very well written. 
and that. So it's saying, you know, that if uh, if I had a queen here on Milleronia, it would be Linda Carter because, as you know, I just oh, I love talking about. Her. I just I don't know her, but she's just gorgeous to me. But but no, of course, because if I had a queen on Milleronia, and I do, because she comes here a lot of the time with me. And with the family, it would be my wife. She is my queen here in this house, and she is my queen back on the mainland in our other house there. So thank you, Joel, but it's the queen of Milleronia is my wife. Now, I'm just saying, if there, just if, if, if there was another Milleronia, a Milleronia two, a second island that... I build and make and turn into something wonderful. And if it's very, well, small, not heavily populated, in fact, maybe no one there, I might just, I might just get in touch with Linda Carter and say, would you like to come to Milleronia 2? And yet, that's just if, and that's not going to happen. But... <laughs> well, who's to say? But the queen here is my queen everywhere, my wife. Here's one, our last for the day, from Tim Doughty, who writes really well. Tim, you've wrote a bunch of great ones. And here's Tim's today. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? Yes, but not as sweet that's awfully nice, and that's the best way to put it. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. It means a lot. And thank you, folks. You know what? It is no kidding. You write, well, these are great haikus, and there are many of them, many of them. So you know what? The Colonel and I are going to pick a winner, and then we'll move on. To, you know what? I think... The road to poetry here like this is fun for all of us. Now, especially, it means something that I love reading on our poetry corner. And and it, it's nice to have shorter poems for people to write. But we'll see where we go with this. In any case, thank you. And the Colonel and I will be picking a winner, well, very soon. In fact, in just a couple hours. And by... That's right. And by Amazon. Amazon and PayPal. Amazon, of course, we, you, you, you can get anything in the world you want, except, of course, a real Amazon. You've got to know that going in. Because who wouldn't want a real Amazon? Let's be honest. If, you had, if you're a guy and you're single, or you're on Milleronia... You might say to yourself, how can I get a real Amazon? How can I get a, a, a tall, muscular, really athletic, gorgeous, and and uh, sexy, and uh, really likes me? That would actually have to be part of it, wouldn't it? And and she thinks I'm neat. But you know what? You, 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 if you get one of those, by the way, a real Amazon, please let us know. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> You can't get one on the in the great company Amazon because what you do is, if you're going to shop at Amazon, and you should, that's one. Here, there are three reasons they're the greatest company in the world because whatever you imagine, you can get. The second reason is 
Whatever you ask for, they'll send you. And the third reason is that whatever you ask for, whatever you order, they send us a percentage of what you've asked for. And that may be the best part of all. So, you know what? Those are three good reasons why Amazon is Amazon. And what you, what you, so to shop there at Amazon, what you do is go to Amazon on your computer, right? Wrong! You don't do that. You never do that. What you go is, you do, you go to our website first, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> oh, boy. Those are good. I don't think we'd do good in the, in the Middle Ages. I don't think we'd do well. Just to, it doesn't seem the, you know, the texture of society. And in the court with the king, the royal court there, you know, I don't... Because this isn't... Uh, I, I, I don't think this is wizard type of stuff, but it makes you laugh, makes me laugh. And you folks. At any rate, so that's how you get to Amazon. We have a banner on our website that says Amazon. You 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 touch that, and we'll take you there. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night. We'll take you there, and you can buy whatever you like. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and Amazon sends us a little bit of dough. Boy, that sounds good to me. And by PayPal. That's right. If you enjoy the show and would like to send us a few bucks to help out, you can do it through PayPal. And I love their name, PayPal. But you know what? That's how to, instead of saying, I don't like to say donate or pay what you like, I like to say buy us some drinks. That's right. Go to your favorite bar, two or three in the afternoon. No one's there. No one's having lunch. No one's having a drink. Nothing. Just the bartender with his leg up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And when you step up, he'll smile and you smile. And you can say to him, how much is a drink? What do you charge for a drink? And whatever that price is, multiply it by two and send it to us. Look for the PayPal banner on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I I don't think the government would pay for this kind of thing, do you? But sure makes us smile. And thank you in advance. Thank you if you've done it in the past. And every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit here. And thanks to everyone who's contributed already. And there's something about me here. We have signed... Hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, and they're now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. That's store.comedyfilmnerds.com. They're good to us, and we're good to them. Buy a book. You'll like it. Buy a copy of my book. You really will. And, uh, well... I love that you did it. And thanks, folks. And there's a new book out today. And I've written a chapter of it. It's a book called The Dadly Virtues. Dadly, a little play on deadly there, but it's dadly, D-A-D-L-Y, 
The Dadly Virtues. And it's edited and put together. The idea came from my friend Jonathan Last, who's a great writer and a great editor. It puts a lot of great thoughts together at the Weekly Standard. And Jonathan V. Last. And uh, he called, I've been in a couple of his books. He has, it's terrific. It just came out. I'm looking at it now. Oh, folks, what a, what a, what a cast of characters here in this thing. Everyone writes a different chapter. And there's a little uh, thought on the, on the cover of the book. Adventures from the worst job you'll ever love about being a dad. Well, you know what? I and everyone in this book love being a dad. And I wrote a chapter there that I had a great time. So you know what? Uh, try this book, too. The Dadly Virtues. And I'm going to call Jonathan after this show just to let him know that it just came out. And I think we may be the first really big mass announcement he's going to get in the media. So in any case, thanks, pal. Buy my book and buy Jonathan Last's book. And that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. The whole concept of the bongo drum, I don't think, has been used nearly as much as it should. We get some good use out of it, though. The joke of the week. And uh, by the way, if you, uh, th- this is a good joke, too, that it was uh, somewhere we found. I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, well, a fella leaves his house one afternoon, just walks out in the backyard, and he notices. Holy mackerel, there's a gorilla in their tree in the backyard. He's up in the tree. And what he reacts the way you would, the way I would, which is, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do I get rid of that thing? A, a, a gorilla in my tree. He runs back into the house and closes the door and calls up, goes to the Yellow Pages and calls up the Gorillas Are Us people and... He speaks to a guy who can come right out. He can be there in a half hour. And that's what he does is get rid of the gorillas people find like this. And he says, yes, please come. About a half hour later, the guy pulls up in his car, walks into the backyard to meet the homeowner. And he sees that gorilla up in the tree. And this guy is carrying four things, a stick, handcuffs, a chihuahua, and a shotgun. And the man says, boy, I, 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 I sure, I'm glad. How, how do we do this? How do you do this? What, what, what do you do? What do you, what, what do you need me to do? And the, and the fellow says, all right, now calm down. I've done this a lot, and I'm going to walk you through it. He said, first of all, what I'm going to do is, and he shows him the stick. He says, I'm going to climb up into that tree and I'm going to go out onto that branch, and I'm going to poke the gorilla with the stick until he falls out of the tree. I'm going to leave you with the handcuffs and the chihuahua and the shotgun. Now, what happens is that once I poke the gorilla with the stick, and once he falls out of the tree, you let the chihuahua go, and the chihuahua is trained, he looks like a small dog, 
but he's trained, and he will run like a lunatic dog right at the gorilla, and he will chomp onto everything, well, between the gorilla's legs. Everything that the gorilla knows is as important as you and I know it. And what when that happens, of course, the gorilla sees this about to happen, so he, he just puts his paws over there, too, just to cover, just to protect himself, and because he knows this is not, not good either. And as soon as he does that, you run over and you put the handcuffs on him. And then we take him away. And, and the guy says, okay, okay, uh, I got it. No, what, what about the shotgun? What, what's that for? And the fellow says, oh, well, that's in case I fall out of the tree first. Shoot the chihuahua. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. I hope you like that. And uh, you can make up little details and add them. But that's a good joke to pass along. That's a good joke of the week. And we got that from reddit.com. R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. So uh, thanks, folks, at Reddit. Reddit, rather. And uh, that brings me to my uh, second favorite portion of the show, The Poetry Corner. Yep. I think, frankly, that fella's cough could be helped a lot with a little time spent on Milleronia. Now, that would cost him some, because he's not—if he comes here, we'd be helping him. But uh, if he's listening, you've had that cough a while. Milleronia is good for lots of things, like coughs. This is a beautiful poem by Geoffrey Chaucer. It's called Rondell of Merciless Beauty. And— Yes, it's true. Once you hear a name like Chaucer, you know you should blink a couple of times and sit up and say, Let's hear it. Here it comes. Your two great eyes will slay me suddenly. Their beauty shakes me who was once serene. Straight through my heart the wound is quick and keen. Only your word will heal the injury to my hurt heart, while yet the wound is clean. Your two great eyes will slay me suddenly. Their beauty shakes me, who was once serene. Upon my word I tell you faithfully, through life and after death you are my queen, for with my death the whole truth shall be seen. Your two great eyes will slay me suddenly. Their beauty shakes me, who was once serene. Straight through my heart, the wound is quick and keen. Isn't that lovely? I hope you like it. Yes, there's a fella. Oh, a great talent was given there. And he added a lot to our world. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Jeffrey Chaucer. 
I hope you like it, folks. And that brings us to my third favorite part of the show. Triple M. M, M, M. Three M's. And the greatest piano note at the end of any song. Three M's. And you know something, folks? This is... It's always a great treat to talk about movies. The same way talking about a joke or a, a written piece. A great movie is something you not only love, and I mean you, and I mean me, and I mean the colonel, and everyone decent loves a great movie, but there are parts in some of our favorite movies that are so good. It makes us happy the movie is coming on again because we look forward to that scene, that moment. The Triple M, a magic movie moment and this time this week it's from a movie called blackbeard the pirate from 1952 the great raul walsh directed it and robert newton wonderful english actor as blackbeard and keith andis as robert maynard and well linda darnell as edwina mansfield now, the cast oh, has so many great others. William Bendix and Irene Ryan, who plays Linda Darnell's maid in this. And Irene Ryan, I hope the name sounds familiar because it was shown on an older, older woman on a truck coming through California on a show called Beverly Hillbillies. And Irene Ryan, of course was Granny. Boy, she was great as Granny. This is a terrific actress she was. But this one, folks, Linda Darnell, I have to say again, she always, even when I was a kid, she always struck me. Well, and uh, to take a phrase from Chaucer, that wound was also quick and keen. But it keeps coming on, and I thought... She was so cool always in everything she did, so sophisticated, so gorgeous, and so specific. There was no one like her. This is a pirate movie, and it has so much in it, and it has a lot of action and a lot of fighting, and they're escaping. And, uh, well, the fellow who plays Maynard, Mainyard, and uh, he said that's Keith Andis, and he is going undercover. Uh, pretending to be a doctor, and he's going to get on Blackbeard's ship because the head of the government there, the governor on the island off of Jamaica, what was that? What was that? Um, oh, yeah, Jamaica is an island, the, the, but it was in the, well, the 1700s of, uh, in any case, the big center of all trading there. And the governor sends, well, he sends Maynard or Mainyard, as Robert Newton calls him in the movie. And that's where he meets Linda Darnell, too, as Edwina Mansfield. And, well, she's the daughter of someone, and she was supposed to be engaged to this guy, another pirate, another thief of this. And she's not sure what she wants, but we she's just trying to survive. She's tough and smart and gorgeous. And she has Irene Ryan as her assistant, as her maid, but, folks, they go through so much in this to live, to get to an island, to get a treasure, 
to leave the treasure to put it one place than another place. So much is going on. And William Bendix is great in everything he's in. He was also in the TV show The Life of Riley. He was the star of The Life of Riley. And one of the stars of the great movie Lifeboat. Uh, I hope you'll see that someday if you if you haven't yet. And But folks, they go through so much. And, well, Main Yard is falling for Linda Darnell, for Edwina Mansfield. And we think maybe she's falling for him too, but we don't know. And nothing happens on that because the action is too weird and crazy. And they're running to survive. One gets off a boat. And it's it's just... Such a good movie and fun to watch, too. And, folks, I'll tell you what. By the end of the movie, the magic movie moment for me is, well, good triumphs over evil. They finally get away back to the ship, which is now in good hands, their hands. And now, finally... They have a chance to look at each other, and they kiss. And that's a really good movie kiss. You didn't think you waited for it too long, but you definitely waited for it. And my favorite part, they don't ruin the kiss. It doesn't go overboard. It's just right. And it's just right for, oh, pirate days when good people are about to sail off into the sunset, and be together. So that's my magic movie moment for you today. See it if you haven't. Blackbeard the Pirate from 1952 with a great, great cast, and Linda Darnell especially. And, you know, every time I see something that has fighting like that, I want to move, because movie fighting can be very dramatic, of course, and you really buy into it if you're watching how characters live and die, whether it's a gangster movie or anything else, or whether it's about something dramatic in gambling or whether it's crime or just life in general in a high school. It doesn't... You really go... You, well, you get into it. And that's where I was this last weekend. I saw that fight between Manny Pacquiao and... Floyd Mayweather Jr. I was one of the $100 people. We got that for our house here. I was going to watch with one of my kids. We were going to watch downstairs. And this was, of course, back on the mainland at our regular house. And my wife ordered it for us. She's not a boxing fan, so she didn't really feel very much like seeing this. But I'll tell you, folks. I don't know if you saw that fight. You must have read about it if you didn't. But I'll tell you, I, I've been angry at sports many times. I'm sure you have too. But my anger would have been 10, 100, 1,000 times stronger if I were in Vegas at that fight, at the fight, in a zillion-dollar seat, and that had been the fight I saw. It wasn't fight of the century. Are you kidding? What century? The 8th century? The 12th century? Not this century. Fight of the century. The Wall Street Journal had a great line. It said, they wrote, 
Fight of the century. Lucky we have 85 years left. And I'm just so sad that it makes you remember again that boxing needs help. All of us forget that boxing is, well, sometimes a kind of a dirty and a corrupt group of some people in it. And it, sometimes it seems, God, the, the only decent ones are the fighters themselves. And oftentimes lots, lots of them are awful too. And you know what? This was a chance for boxing to take a step forward. And here, here's what the chance was. We found out, I found out, you found out, that I just read a big article in the Los Angeles Times today in the sporting section. Found out that, well, Manny Pacquiao was hurt. He had that rotator cuff injury, and it, it, it's hurt to the extent where he couldn't even fight. He couldn't use that arm to punch. And his people there were telling, well, all the folks, the Nevada Boxing Commission and all the folks involved there, you know, uh, we we really don't feel right here. This is uh, so much time went into this fight, as you know. So much time putting it together. So much time setting it up, but you know what? They asked the Nevada Boxing Commission for an injection a week before. Then also a couple of times on the day before too. You know, and these were all this injection has nothing in it that's illegal, nothing in it that's a drug. It's to, it's just to cut the pain down a little bit in that shoulder to to make it usable, not useful, not to make it stronger, just usable so that you can actually use it as Manny Pacquiao said you know he said he felt it it it, it went out again in the beginning of the fight and the point is the Nevada Boxing Commission said no they said no you can't have that and they said well we why this is this is silly it's getting idiotic here why why couldn't we have that maybe make this the fight it should be the fight it could have been the fight it should have been they said no. They said no again. And uh, this is something that, I don't know about you, but you want to hold your hands up and just kind of drop them on your lap and say, am I crazy here? You know, why am I not, am I the only one not enjoying this now? And it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't a great fight. It wasn't the fight of the century. It wasn't the fight of anything. And I, by the way, I was rooting for Pacquiao just to uh, let you know, I think he's terrific. He's religious. He's a good husband and father. He gives so much money to poor people and charities. I mean, right to them in cash. And he's a he and he's a great fighter. And you know what? I I'll be honest with you. I, I kept thinking uh, as this fight was well, not before it started, as you know, if you saw this thing, that uh, all the cable channels couldn't get their customers in on it, all the people who had already bought, just like I bought. And they couldn't get people connected. They were looking at, well, laptop screens that were blank. They were looking at TVs that were blank. So they said to the Boxing Commission, uh, could we have some more time? We could have another hour or two to try and get these people hooked up. Well... I'm sorry, folks, but first of all, I want them hooked up, too. They want to be hooked up. But you want to say, 
Do we have to ruin a boxing match this way? You couldn't have figured this out beforehand from this gillion-dollar fight? And, you know, all they wanted... I, I, it made me ask, you know, before the fight started, I kept thinking, who are all the people in the ring? Who are they? Why are we watching them? Why do they all get to bow and wave? Who are they? Why do they all get an introduction? I, I don't know them and the, or their names. And frankly, it was a waste of time. And there were lots of people in that ring, way, way more than you ever need to see. I mean, let's be honest. Every introduction of someone had a national anthem with it, and it had a group of folks who looked like a bridge tournament. And, you know, that, that, that's all well and good, but too much, too much. There are two men who should be in that ring and they're ready to fight. One was hurt, but they should be fighting, not waiting for cable people to get hooked up. Jamie Foxx uh, sang our national anthem, by the way, Star Spangled Banner, and uh, that was great. It would be the, uh, the Philippine national anthem was sung, and, uh, and Jamie Foxx sound, sang ours, there was a moment when they said, and now to sing the Star Spangled Banner is Jamie Foxx. There was a moment, at least to me, where I looked at my son. I said, Jamie Foxx, the actor, he's, he's like, a, a, you know, why, why would he be singing the national anthem? And my son said the only smart thing I heard that day. He just said, well, it's Jamie Foxx. And I, you know, I looked at him. And I said, you know what? You're right. And. He wanted to sing it, so he sang it. He sang it fine. I, I, I mean, fight of the century. Again, Rocky would have been better than this thing. And that's true in a way. Never mind what the people can get hooked up to see on cable. If you just show Rocky, I mean, that was a terrific boxing movie, and it showed good boxing. Hey, good story. Gangsters, family, sports, romance, all those steps to run up in Philadelphia. That's a good, that, that's a good movie but that's you know what we've got to know and you and I already know and so does the colonel that there's no reason to build up something to the fight of the century how about just a really really good fight that it should be because these guys are good luck all right god bless them they're good pros they work their butts off their whole lives but you, you know what to me, all boxing today is thin guys who are 5'3". I, I don't really understand where boxing went, where big punch boxing went. This wasn't boxing to me that to say, well, he had 400 punches. Punches. I could take those punches. I don't want to, by the way. I just want to stop that right now. But you know what I mean? They're, they're not punches the way you think of in boxing that... Uh, Oh, now he's 49-0, and 0, Mayweather, which ties him with Rocky Marciano, who was, well, one of the greatest heavyweights ever, who was 49-0 and 0 and world champion. And, uh, you know, the, the hardest punches in the world. He could take a beating like no one else. And he was known. All the fighters said about him in Rocky Marciano's day because he would just hit on the side of the arms there when their arms were up, he'd go bang 
on, on, on the side of the arms between the elbow and the shoulder, and they used to say, that hurts. That's not a, a missed punch. That's a punch. It was a punch like a bull. And after, during the fight and after the fight, and for a while they think, boy, when he hits your arms, it's it's, it's amazing. You know, there's a there's an idea. I would like to give you an idea here. Most most guys, now it's true, they change their lives and they learn their lessons. Manny Pacquiao, I think, did a great job of recovering, of changing his life, really stepping forward and becoming, well, a terrific guy in addition to a terrific fighter. But as you know, most guys in boxing party for 15 years and then get religion and quit partying, which is great. But here's the idea. What if the partying came last? In other words, let's just say the fighter should live and fight and have a family and give it all to the poor and give it all to religion and love the path he's on. And then when he's 50, the boxing world could then say, okay, you know what? You did it right. Enough. That was enough. Now we're going to give you a yacht with liquor and gambling and a captain in a bikini. To me, if after a good fight, the loser gets thrown into the volcano here. That's the way we do it on Milleronia. Bad fight, they both get thrown in. Plus, the old boxing commissioner gets thrown in too. And half of everyone in that ring who has no business being there. But you know what? Yes, it's true. We have we have a fight on Milleronia. Every time there's a fight like this, and we had one that Saturday night after their fight, which was disappointing, my son and I had the same reaction. The fight ended, they were all in the ring again, and they all start those interviews, and I just didn't need to see those interviews, and so I finally turned it off, and... My son and I were sitting there quietly with the house finally quiet, and I looked at him and said, there was only one thing to say. I just looked at him and said, well, I guess we saw it. And he said, yeah, we saw it. And we both felt the same way. We were tired from four and a half hours of seeing it. And so we stood up, and that's not even the time to say to someone, you hungry? You know, there's just it's because it, it's like nine thirty at night. I think it was on on the on the west coast, and Milleronia has its own time zone, by the way. But I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> That's right; it's very mysterious. But I'm telling you, folks, that we you know, and and yes, after the fight, by the way, after our fight here. Two and two of our vice presidents fought. We weren't going to get people who owed us anything, you know, but two of our VPs fought. And by the way, they got in great shape. They were very exciting and very tough. They trained and were in terrific shape. We have a lot of vice presidents. We have a dozen. And ten now, they're now they're fighting and they're great. And after the fight, our fight, we had a liquor and cigar party in the Tent of Freedom. That's right, the Tent of Freedom. You might get here yet, too. So you know what, folks? I wish Manny well. I have nothing against Floyd Mayweather. He said also in an interview, 
Yes, this was all for God. I did it all for God. I give it all to God. To be honest, to me that sounded like him just taking that from Manny. But I wish him well. I wish Manny well. And I'm going to stay with the stuff I know. And you know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And as always, remember... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>